there should be more justice here, but I don't think we're going to see it. Yeah. Uh, Molly, Orleans... Molly is activated by the mention of Deshaun Watson. Good dog. <laughs> for news, views, and overreactions to all things NFL. It's okay. Denver Broncos are no longer on prime time. They can't hurt you anymore. Okay, we got Connor here. We've got Ronan. Hello. And we've got Sean. Hello. How are we getting on, lads? How's all down in Cork? Uh, surviving. Uh, basically, I just did a, effectively an entire week with the dog of my own, uh, which was a lesson in, for both of us on how to live together. <laughs> uh, no we're getting we're getting there now we're getting the sense of one another and uh, starting to train her and stuff like sit and lie down and stuff the toilet training not quite so much advanced but other stuff she seems to be progressing so uh, she probably just, put just a lot of back. energy just a toilets lot. are difficult just let them pee at the yeah <laughs> <laughs> well the problem is it's it's pissing rain and it's yeah she doesn't like the rain so. yeah yeah uh, yeah. it can be, or the cold, which is yeah. And I think you, she was born are, at the you, wrong time of the year. Basically, I, I was gonna say, are you are you in like one of the nice suburbs where you don't have fireworks going off, or are you getting to the point where like there's gonna be fireworks for the next two weeks? Nothing yet, but I imagine it's only a matter of time. I I, they're usually okay around here. You usually only get Halloween plus maybe a day or two before. Nothing, nothing crazy as of yet. But uh, Actually, we've had we've had it going it. since August here. Like it's fucking Baghdad and cabin. Like. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's good. So you're settling in well. And uh, what did, what did you settle on for the dog's name again? Oh, Molly. 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 Very on. good. So yeah. Molly will be occasionally joining us on the on the pod for 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 deep insightful <laughs> conversations. I'm sure. Uh, Fitz, how about yourself? Yeah, mostly wet because that's how Cork is right now. To be honest, and mm. come on, Connor, you can't, you're trying to gentrify Cabra right now. Come on, like you got to leave these people to the do what they do. You know, they were setting off fireworks long before you were a glint in your mother's eye like let's be honest yeah that's 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 true i suppose uh i don't i don't i don't ever tend to find that's the way things have always been done to be the most convincing of arguments because <laughs> there's a lot of things that we've figured out are not the way to do things but uh i'm all for, well, I'm all for fireworks i just don't know why the fuck you need them in august and also statement yeah but also why, thing- why, why why do they keep letting them off during the day like you can't even see the explosions properly then it's uh it's it's, it's just wasteful is what it is the, um, the, the statement, you know, the things being done that way is a good reasoning. That's not a that is not a to be inferred as any uh, situation regarding your current employment with the central bank. Oh yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> we are sitting uh, today. There's an announcement of some changes to some uh, regulatory rules coming from the central bank as well that uh, I've been receiving lots of text messages about. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's um, nothing, nothing too weird. We had a lightning storm here earlier. Uh, turns out, but dog is not afraid of fireworks, but is a bit perturbed by by lightning he was fine he just occasionally would go over to the window bark at it once and then walk back over and think yeah i've done it that thing's scared now it's not coming back um which is uh, interesting we'll say um and yeah we're off to uh myself and sean are going to be adventuring off this weekend for for some fun down the west side of the west country but uh i suppose we should probably just get straight into the news and get cracking on with a few bits um 
Las Vegas wide receiver Devontae Adams in crime punishment. What are they doing? Probably felonies. He's been charged with a misdemeanor assault for pushing the photographer Ryan Zeebly after his loss to Kansas City in week five, Monday Night Football. Uh, I said it last week. I'll say it again. This is fucking ridiculous. And, like, just just cop yourselves out. I believe the police report uh, that he filed afterwards. So he went to the doctor and he had to get a report to file to them. And, like, they had to, to put on the report... Uh, he was treated for injuries that were not life-threatening. I was like, wow, <laughs> fucking surprise. Like, um, so the investigation's been initiated by Zeebly. It's expected to probably just end in some kind of settlement thing. Uh, there'll be no suspension until the legal elements have been resolved, so we won't see him like not playing because of this. And, yeah, this is... like, He was a moron for doing it, and he probably should give your man some kind of something for pushing him over but like this is oh misdemeanor assault and getting a fucking medical report for falling on your ass like is ridiculous to me it's america it's a litigious culture that they love laws and they love you know imposing laws on black people i mean it's just this is who they are you know this is this is probably mostly probably just to set up some sort of civil settlement thing that he wanted to get some sort of criminal things we decide to press charges etc etc i mean it's just yeah it's par for the course in terms of america this is the kind of shit that happens over there basically yeah like wasn't there what there was no court case came out of the 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 matt stafford one from the super bowl stuff do you remember like he was drunk and the the the, the photographer fell over or something he just went lol and wandered off um like yeah it's it's i, just, I think it just, he made some sort of settlement wasn't sure what he apologized anyway uh, just that's stupid shit like um yeah i, I don't know it's a, it's a very silly one uh more serious kind of crime and punishment going on though and you plaintiffs have joined the deshaun watson civil suit citing washington pressured her into oral sex during massage in 2020 while also trying to coerce her into having um full penetrative sex as well the plaintiff lawyer says that there's more women to come as well this is obviously not what the nfl or what the browns in particular want to hear um new cases mean that there could be a reopening of his uh, suspension it means that there could be more issues to come down the line and yeah frankly good to be honest in my head uh yeah i don't i don't have much because it's kind of a vague early days kind of developing story but yes they're this guy is a serial offender. It doesn't surprise me one that there's additional people, and two that they're happy to come out now and have and and, and talk about it and kind of push the thing forward. And I hope they get him, and I hope he gets smacked with a long-term suspension and doesn't get playing. And I hope the Browns, you know, still have to pay him all his money, but his money gets put in a trust, uh, pays out the victims, and yeah, the Browns, you know, wallow for the next 25 years as punishment. Uh, but you know, I'm a law and order type me. Yeah, like, there's a few minor things worth noting about this. Firstly, the lawyer in this case is a different lawyer than the uh, uh, who represented all of the previous cases against Deshaun Watson. They are joining, I believe, the same suit uh, in practical terms, but um, it is a, it's a separate lawyer, and she, the, the new lawyer, she was the one who said that um, that there are additional women who may join, I suppose, as part of her part of the wider thing. There's only one remaining lawsuit from the original uh, civil suit against from against Watson. All the other ones are obviously settled a, a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe the NFL have come out and said that this doesn't really change their opinion of things. They've given a suspension, and that's pretty much under the carpet. Uh, for Cleveland, I suppose, 
um, we were aware at the time that the contract had stipulations about if additional things came up that they the guarantees could be waived within the contract but whether Cleveland would exercise those um, and whether they would account for something that's still happening in the past uh, this is from 2020 um, we're, we're not sure but like look yeah like uh, however much money can be extracted from Deshaun Watson is is all good with me to be honest uh, not to be too cynical about it but I think the fact that Cleveland are vaguely still alive uh, means that they probably will try and minimize this as much as possible or push the NFL to minimize. I think if they were like 0-6 or whatever, they might be like, well, now you've broken the contract. But the thing is, as long as Watson is their ticket to the playoffs or he's perceived as such, I think the the Browns won't push too much. And I think the NFL is, it's fall, it's you know, it's wallowing in the mess it's made, basically. It, it's, it's made its bed and now it has to sleep in it, basically. Um, I can't. Yeah, there should be more justice here, but I don't think we're going to see it. Yeah. Uh, Molly, to... Molly is activated by the mention of Deshaun Watson. Good dog. <laughs> does not, does not like it. And uh, New Orleans running back Alvin Kamara, uh, as we know, kind of have um, this 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 incident of battery assault and battery in a, I believe it was a casino, uh, around the Pro Bowl. Daryl Green Jr. being on the receiving end of quite a substantial beating, if I remember correctly. Uh, it's now got a ten million dollar civil lawsuit uh, out about that and. Yeah, like from the sides of things, he did it, right? Yeah, there are there is video footage, which I think basically means that he will probably be paying this guy some money. Uh, but obviously, there's also an outstanding legal, like criminal case against him, so it may require that to be resolved before this is resolved, unless he chooses to settle. But like, yeah, Alvin Kamara is not getting away scot free from from you know having him and his cronies beat up a guy um, yeah. in in a casino. Yeah, pretty much, and. Uh... Good. Controversy corner. Houston have fired executive vice president for football operations, Jack Easterby. He's a controversial figure with reports about having fingers in all the pies, huge amounts of control and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's no other front office changes expected out of here. I'm a little confused at the timing on this one more so than anything else. Cause Easterby has been a recurring figure for about two years now in our coverage of this and basically kind of that he was exerting a lot of control making a lot of decisions kind of you know very, very kind of like a game of thrones character almost in how he was being described by people um and i believe there was some comments as well because he came from the patriots organization about wanting to clone bill belichick or something like that but yeah it's a an odd dude who in general seemed to have like acquired power without people necessarily knowing at least those on the outside knowing why he had done that um but why he's gone now mid-season particularly given that like we expect that they're between coaches and they're mid-rebuild like it's just it's an odd one to go it's week five week six let's get rid of you know little finger uh well i mean it's it, it seems to me that the, the i mean the problem with this guy was that he was as far as i understand it he his duties were fairly ambiguous, which meant he could, you know, expand himself in any various directions. I mean, we, we've already we've talked a lot on this spot about how much of a dumpster fire the Houston organization is. It could just be some sort of internal wrangling, some sort of power play, someone making some move. I mean, the Texans aren't interesting enough in the football field. I'm sure that the executives have to keep themselves occupied by, you know, stabbing each other in the back and all of that. Um, I, I mean, it is unusual. It, it would be unusual in the sense that we thought Houston was an OK organization. That, that had issues with uh, how much, you know, external 
external impacts this kind of internal stuff, but I don't think they really care about any of that. I think they just care about the whatever vague hierarchical, um, you know, fighting that's going on in there. So I think he just he probably fell victim to internal politics. Is, pro- is probably is probably my my read of it. Yeah, yeah. Like he's someone who you know was close with the uh, owner, well, effective owner, Cal McNair. And was was supposed to have his ear, but I think you know the results of what he suggested over the years have not been particularly great for a franchise which is kind of on in the toilet. And to be honest, if I, if I like, we'll probably hear more about what actually happened here. But I would imagine this was a win uh, for the general manager Nick Casario uh, within the organization. Mm-hmm. And given that Nick Casario is a guy who actually understands the game of football and not just a former, you know, pastor, um, that's probably better for the Houston Texans going <laughs> forward. Well, you got to hope so, because it's not been exactly a cakewalk for the last couple of years. Um, Indianapolis owner Jim Ursay makes public comments saying that there's merit to getting rid of Washington Commanders owner Dan Schneider, and that it would need 24 owner votes, which might be something they could arrange. Uh, this is... It sounds very mafia, the way <laughs> It does, yeah. Maybe that could be arranged. Uh, it... Well, the thing is, it becomes even more mafia funny, enjoyable now. Because look, we've we've talked so many times on this about how Dan Schneider is a piece of shit, and how the league uh, would be better off without him, and America would probably be better off just without him. Full stop. Um, this has come on the back of ESPN reports that Dan Schneider had hired uh, private investigators to dig up dirt on all of the other owners and Roger Goodell to ensure that he was able to, you know, not get pushed out by them and that he would be able to, 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 to control them. Uh, and, yeah, so basically this has started to push. So there's been a push for kind of getting rid of him for a bit. It started to really gather steam recently whenever they were, you know, up, <laughs> up in hearings in Capitol Hill about essentially stealing money from other teams by lying and keeping two sets of books. Um, Thursday Night Football saw Al Michaels talking about how there might be a good thing to get rid of him. Like Washington, the organization has tried to distance themselves a bit from it. They've put out a public statement saying that they haven't hired private investigators. That wouldn't surprise me. This feels like something Dan Schneider would do himself. Uh like internal NFL investigations are ongoing, so Goodell is staying quiet on it. But like, this is the first actual publicly visible bit of scrapping over this that we've seen. Uh, and I imagine that a lot of this goes on quietly behind closed doors. So that we're actually seeing it publicly is interesting. The Jim Irsay is essentially, yeah, come at me, bro. Uh, is is interesting. I think Snyder's big. Uh, ally at the moment is Jerry Jones who is the most powerful of the of the owners uh, I think out there and Jerry I think has publicly said he's on he's on Snyder's side uh, and he's currently pushing and trying to uh, threaten uh, Robert Kraft into allowing him to cut Roger Goodell's salary or something along those lines so there's just a whole lot of weird scrappiness in what is essentially a giant preschool for billionaires yeah, but interestingly, the report that came out was that the biggest dirt available uh, from for Dan Snyder was on Jerry Jones. And of course, there are some recent incidents in the Dallas organization that suggest that, you know, either he or high up members of his organization have been involved in some uh, problematic actions over the years. Um, I think this is a situation like I can see it out in the open is really important. Now, to be fair, Jim Irsay is probably one of the more enigmatic members of the NFL ownership group 
Um, he's always been a lot more willing to speak his mind, as it were. And, you know, if you even think back to the end of last year when he talked about, you know, the quarterback situation so publicly um, with Carson Wentz and they got rid of him, like, that gives you an indication of the kind of guy Jim Irsay is. So I wouldn't say that Jim Irsay is uh, necessarily a bellwether, but even given that, for him to come out and say this publicly is a big step up. And I think certainly there are many more owners who want to get rid of him. But of course, 24 out of 32 is a very lar- a large ask. threshold. Yeah, it's, it's a, a very ask. large threshold to get over. And the NFL are saying right now, as, as you mentioned, just basically, you know, we're still investigating it. You know, we had the first set of findings from them, but they're continuing to investigate more, including the stealing money from other owners thing. So I think a lot of them might be waiting uh, until that investigation comes to fruition, particularly the, the revenue sharing bit. Mm-hmm. And if that comes up against uh, Dan Snyder's public claims that he didn't do it, um, then that point maybe when you'll see the heave. I mean, for me, it's interesting the, the kind of canary in the coal mine is Al Michaels here. I mean, this is a you know, veteran commentator, diplomatic guy, doesn't really ever say things he shouldn't say. And if he's openly calling on primetime television that this guy should go, it does feel like there's an attempt by some some faction or whatever to control the public narrative and maybe try and create some public pressure in terms of this. I mean, maybe making the general fan more aware of this kind of stuff might make it more likely that he's going on. So I think there's definitely... It, it definitely represents a step up in whatever the the war that is ongoing but yeah if it's if it's jerry jones plus in his corner it's going to be it's going to be a dirty fight no matter which way it goes yeah yeah um obviously we'll we'll keep you all updated as that story progresses let's move on have a look at some transactions from around the league baltimore have signed wide receiver deshaun jackson yes he is still playing apparently (laughs) uh and this one's for you sean arizona has signed rodrigo blankenship to their practice squad so he might be able to come out and kick again um, I don't see a huge amount coming out of this. Like, obviously, Sean Watson, Baltimore, they kind of know each other. I, I, I can't imagine he's got too much left in the tank at this point, right? He's probably still fast. <laughs> That's about it. Maybe. Um, I think the most interesting that came out of that was just that there was a kind of cryptic uh, tweet from Rashad Bateman, the nominal wide receiver one there. Just lol. He tweeted out at the time that this was announced. So <laughs> keep. Keep an eye out for uh, some ructions within that locker room. There, there have been a few things over recent uh, weeks and perhaps potentially even years that things aren't all hunky dory in the in the in the uh, Baltimore locker room. Yeah, yeah. There's been a couple of ones of that, uh, including obviously Brian getting out of there during the off season. Uh, let's have a look at some of the injuries from around the the. Oh, I suppose actually, Sean, are you? Do you want to t- do you want to say yeah. anything to Rodrigo? Uh, yeah, no. Props to my man Rodrigo. I mean, he's the the hero of nerdy guys everywhere who dream of one day being a mediocre kicker in the NFL. Um, <laughs> I, I I hope it works out for, I mean, you know, Arizona is, it's got some good weather, you know, and much better than Indianapolis. I hope he enjoys his, his time there. And maybe, I mean, I have already placed him as a, my kicker in the fantasy thing. So I don't know if I'll have him back uh, if he gets on somewhere, but uh, no, good luck to him. I mean, he, he seems like, you know, He's like what a normal guy would look like in the NFL. So I think it's great to just have him as a representative there of the of the ordinary man. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, injuries to certain teams around the league. So Washington quarterback Carson Wentz has injured his finger. He's gone for four to six weeks. That means either Tyler Heineke or rookie Sam Howell will be playing in his place. And Denver quarterback Russell Wilson has injured his hamstring. He's day-to-day and has gone for an MRI. And linebacker Aaron Patrick has torn his ACL and gone for the season. Arizona lose guard Justin Pugh for the season to an ACL injury. Marquise Brown, who we just mentioned there in passing, has injured his foot and he's gone for six to eight weeks. Uh, now they're hoping to soften that blow with the Andre Hopkins 
Hopkins coming back and a trade with Arizona for Robbie Anderson. So they did a sixth and seventh round swap, I believe it was. The Rams lost Joe Noteboom, their offensive tackle, to an Achilles injury for the season. Miami have lost cornerback Nick Needham for the year. Skylar Thompson has injured his thumb in his day-to-day, but both Tua and Teddy should be back in Week 7. So you'd hope that you wouldn't still be needing Skylar Thompson at that point. Uh, Tampa Bay defensive back Logan Ryan has injured his foot. Uh, he's on IR and expected back late in the season. Kenny Pickett, the quarterback for Pittsburgh, has a concussion this week to week. Wyatt Teller, the guard for Cleveland, has injured his calf this week to week. And Randall Cobb, wide receiver at Green Bay, has an ankle injury and he's going to be out for two to four weeks. So, Washington and Denver, do they both improve without their current quarterbacks? <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, Denver's backup is Brett Ripien or Ripien. Ripien, uh, yeah, he's so... a rookie, isn't he? Or no, he's year, play, he year. played. He's he played in twenty twenty, I think. He and he, he's had he had a start in twenty twenty, and he's played like two snaps in twenty twenty one. So he's one of these guys has been around for a few years, but he's never really amounted to anything. The ironic thing is, he has started one game in the NFL, which was against the Jets, who the Broncos are playing in week seven, and he won. Um, so there's de- there is a few calls from the Broncos fans online to to you know build the offense around Ripian because Russ is is washed up etc cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, yeah, I'm sure they won't be saying that at the end of the game if uh, yeah. if he also does get just picked. the amount of money they're paying Russell Wilson. <laughs> oh my God. Um, I mean the drop the Wilson drop off in quality is is astounding. It really, it really. I mean Seattle they definitely saw it coming and, and props them for getting out of that situation before before the shit hit the fan yeah and he has like it's, it's basically the death note for the for the head coach in denver because <laughs> if you've given someone a 250 million dollar contract they're not the one that you're not using so you're going to swap the coach <laughs> to try and fit the quarterback at that point um aaron paul being on for the season fits like this is a denver team that actually has a very high performing defense at the moment and if they only had something a quarterback could be something is aaron patrick a big loss for them He's a loss. Like he's been a starter from a linebacker, but he's obviously not one of the the stars of that defense. Mm. I think it's unfortunate in how it happened. I believe like he slipped on some uh, carpet on the sideline. His agent was uh, highlighting that. So very unfortunate situation for him. But like, look, given what's happening on the offense, the defense could be the best in the league, and it wouldn't make a goddamn difference at the moment. Like they would need to be literally the Peyton Manning defense uh the last year Peyton Manning to have any chance and they're not yeah. quite there but definitely a lot of them there another one definitely like uh, the Rams obviously having a very tough start to the year mm. losing their starting tackle Joe Nopum for an offense that's already struggling that's not a great sign for them going forward they've also got a feelers out for Cam Akers who's now demanding a trade and they're happy to facilitate that at the moment as well so more more issues for them at the moment if they can hopefully find someone to to, to get them through Arizona like we've kind of discussed are not really looking phenomenal (laughs) so far this year it's probably not going to help that they're losing a guard and they're losing who's been effectively their wr1 so far like deandre hopkins coming back is always nice but like you know he is older now he's probably not quite as explosive what you wanted was to see hollywood brown and him on the field at the same time like i like i always thought robbie anderson massively underperformed to his skill level but like they didn't want like old D Hop and Robbie Anderson being their receiving options, right? <laughs> like they're getting hit by kind of the uh, the crossfire from the the league adaption to the Bills and the Chiefs and having the too high and taking away the big play because when you take away the big play from Arizona, they just kind of look 
bad, basically. There's nothing there underneath the, the hood. And, you know, Call of Duty is just putting out two XP things every weekend, it feels like. So I don't see any hope for them unless <laughs> Call of Duty goes offline for a while. Well, this is the problem that we're going to have, that there is a new Call of Duty coming out this weekend. Now, I believe Warzone 2, right? So that's like the big Call of Duty thing these days. Yeah. So the question is, one, did the NFL specifically schedule him to play on Thursday this week to try and avoid the issue of him not playing well because he's going to be playing Call of Duty? Or two, will Call of Duty be caught on enough and just give him an early access code so he'll be playing away throughout the week this week? Um yeah, it's it, it's gonna be a bit messy. Let's see. Is there any rest of these jump out of this? Like Miami, obviously, like Dita being gone is bad, but having new quarterback options back is is a positive for them. Tampa Bay, uh, I think the less we say about them at the moment, the better. Like Kenny Pickett getting concussed is, I think, a negative. People are talking a lot, and I suppose we'll get onto it when we're talking about the game previews, but. People are talking up the four passes that uh, that Mitch Trubisky threw in that game afterwards. Like, that doesn't change the fact that he was shit and got benched for him. Like, Pickett is still the more exciting and better option for them to be playing at that point. Um, so if I was them, yeah, I'd be hoping but... for him to come back. I don't don't buy this, like, oh, now Mitch Titties has really got a chip in his shoulder bullshit. Tomlin says that he will start if he's able to start, though with the concussion changes, obviously, in recent weeks, I, I doubt he'll play in week seven. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then again, this is like the moment for the flashback where it's like three weeks ago, so Tomlin was saying that Mitch Trubisky's going to play the entire season. So, uh, yeah, I, I would expect Pickett to be back. But look, if Trubisky puts up a good game, then you're going to have one of the uh, lowest wattage QB controversies of the season probably for the rest <laughs> of the time. Oh, God, it'd be so grim, wouldn't it? Well, on that lovely note, let's go and look at the games from last week. So first up, we have Buffalo at Kansas City, 24-20. to This was a very exciting game. Uh, Mahomes, 338 yards, two touchdowns and two interceptions. He threw a very bad pick with a minute left to go to close out the game that I 100% called on text just before it happened as well. Uh, it was, to be honest, uh, while mistake from Patrick Mahomes is also just an incredible job by Von Miller actually coming off the side of the line and causing the pressure that forced the ball out early. Allen had a very good game as well, 329 yards, three touchdowns and a fumble with 32 yards on the ground. Uh, he had a fantastic big hurdle to try and keep the keep the game alive in the fourth quarter towards the tail end. Uh, as I mentioned, Miller led their defense with two interceptions, three sacks and four tackles for a loss. Uh, Mahomes really kind of had to work hard to get stuff going and there was periods where it worked quite nicely but then there was periods where they were stuck in mud entirely uh, the Kansas City defense actually held up relatively well overall given that it's missing a number of starters um, they they managed to do a little bit of the essentially the rushing Allen and getting him off his square for the first quarter to quarter and a half kind of worked and then it just stopped working and then unfortunately Spags doesn't really have another setting so kept going at it and wasn't getting the results uh, that they needed um yeah there was you know a couple of people who were who were out and you need to start dropping safety assistance over the top of them because there's a lot of a lot of them aren't going to be able to take on people like Stefan Diggs on their own even if it was the starter in there let alone if it's a backup so yeah like this buffalo offense looked very good in this game um the chiefs kind of sputtered at times it was uh it was a good game though and there was a couple of like a couple of silly mistakes that shouldn't have happened 
I basically come at the tail end of it, and I don't know how you guys think, but I come at the tail end of it looking at it and being like, yeah, this is this is probably the AFC Championship game unless they end up bumping into each other in the playoffs beforehand. I mean, I hope it's the AFC Championship game because they're obviously the two best teams, possibly not in the AFC, but in the league itself. Um, so if we don't get into them as the AFC Championship game, I think we should ask for our money back. It was odd. I mean, I'm, I'm a soccer fan, and the comparison I... I kind of I didn't watch this game live at the time because I was fast asleep. But um, when I watched it uh, the following day, the the, the analogy that I, that I was coming to was of watching Liverpool against Man City. There was like these two teams are clearly so much better than every other team in the league that watching them is like watching an entirely different game. And um, it was much more like crisp, and you know both both sides of the ball were fighting for everything, and there weren't there weren't easy stupid mistakes or anything like that. It was clear that these are two very good teams playing at a very high level against each other. I mean, for me, we know both of these offenses are good, and we've talked endlessly about how good both these offenses are capable of being. What was really noticeable for me was was how impressive both defenses were. Um, the 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 Bills defense we knew was quite good. Um, and they really, they really made Mahomes work for every yard that he was given. They shackled him up, made him, made him, made him fight for everything, um, and that was interesting to see. And I think Von Miller might be the final missing piece in, in just kind of get, making those kind of big plays. They stepped up when needed. The intercept, the end zone interception early on was quite important in terms of, of the momentum of what was going on, uh, and they gave a platform for the offense to give what it was doing. But I was also impressed by the the Chiefs' defense, who had some big stops and were making plays when it, they needed to be made, and were keeping them in the game. But ultimately, maybe the fact that the Bills' defense was just slightly better than the, than the Chiefs' defense was the difference um, in this game. Um, offensively, I mean, you know, Allen's having a great year. Everyone kind of step step is stepping up. Obviously, Diggs had a, a massive game. Gabe Davis had a big game. Devin Singletary also had a, a big game. And I think maybe adding kind of non-Josh Allen rushing yards might be the one thing the Bills are missing on that side. In terms of KC, I do think that there is... You're seeing that the implica- implications of Tyreek Hill not being there in terms of the explosiveness. Now, they've got the underneath explosiveness. Juju is doing an awful lot in terms of the underneath explosiveness that Hill used to do. But the over-the-top stuff, the stuff that uh, MVS, um, Marcus Vandal Scanting, should be doing is just not there. He's not the answer. And that X factor is missing. And Mahomes doesn't have that ability to, to blow the game open. Um, and therefore, he's having to, to kind of grind it through the dirt. And it's not not the ideal way that the KC should be playing. Um, so as I've, been, as I've kind of been saying all along, I think Buffalo are... If, if not the better team, they're certainly further along their evolution. They're a team that's ready to go now, whereas the Chiefs still feel a little bit like a work in progress. A very talented work in progress, um, but still a work in progress. But yeah, these are the two best teams in the AFC. And the fact that the Bills won and therefore will likely have home field advantage uh, come January, I think is very big in terms of this being a championship year, getting the Super Bowl, et cetera, et cetera. I think this is a very big step psychologically, but also in terms of the, the, the practical uh, implications. Yeah, I think the thing I enjoyed most about this game is that it wasn't just like a fireworks, like uh, Chiefs, Rams, MNF type game from a few years ago. Like this is a game that really grew into itself. You had the kind of defenses playing chess with these obviously two amazing quarterbacks early in the game and having wins like, you know, the fumble early on from Allen was a bit of a, I think they almost got too much in their head and kind of got like tried to make something happen when he shouldn't have. Uh, the interception from Patrick Mahomes in the red zone, like, you know, this could have easily been like a crap ton of points, but the defenses were making key plays at key moments, getting turnovers, turning the ball over on downs uh, and getting, you know, making stops as the first half. But I think once the, 
Second half came in, you saw why these two guys are nearly impossible to keep down in the long run. So then you see the big plays uh, to Stefan Diggs. You see the big plays to Travis Kelsey as the game wears on. But I do think there was the one element that the Chiefs were missing compared to the Bills was that run game. Like Devin Singletary was solid and they trusted him, whereas Clyde Edwards-Alaire um, was relatively inefficient and relatively unused. And maybe there's a case for more Isaiah Pacheco or someone like that to kind of give more juice to that run game. But like, look, I think Mahomes was being made work that little bit harder than Allen throughout the entire game. And I just got a sense that the the, the, the Bills were taking this a little bit extra serious because like you know the Chiefs have been there they've done that they've won everything whereas the Bills like the way that they've come out this year at the start this season like they're they're running Josh Allen they're throwing everything at the kitchen sink every single week Um, and outside the weird like super sunny game in Miami like they're a team that they want to go the entire season 100% every single week until we win a fucking Super Bowl so yeah if this is what we get in the AFC Championship I think we can all look forward to an amazing game again yeah, I think there's like the two bits just to call out as well for the KC side of the thing. So like Orlando Brown is essentially playing himself out of the contract that he wants as uh, I think he gave up seven pressures uh, on, on, on this one, like seven, seven sackable pressures, which is just shocking. He was getting worked all day and that left side of the line is causing issues. Um, one thing, as you noted, Sean, there on the, um, on the, the, the wide receiver issue, like, the Bills defense normally plays a zone thing and they swap to more than half of their snaps. They were in man, which mm. says that they don't think that KC receivers can get separation. <laughs> and uh, like thing is, look, you're 20 to 24, like it wasn't a blowout or anything. But like if, if that's the case, expect to see more teams start going up and going, do you know what, we'll just challenge the receivers because they're not getting the separation. So hopefully yeah. we'll see some more bits and pieces move around <laughs> to get that offense going a little bit because it was, like I said, defense got a couple of stops. It was just periods where the Chiefs offense just didn't really have anything going. So I'd, 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 I'd imagine they'll have that a little bit better by the next time these two team meet. But we'll move on to uh, Baltimore. Well, well, well Connor, like the, the Chiefs cleared up some cap space by restructuring Kelsey's contract. So they're they obviously going to trade for CMC oh, and DJ gosh. Moore and sort everything out. So. Jesus. <laughs> like, I would I would love to see something like CMC on the on, on the Chiefs. But, like, yeah. Like, but to be honest, there's, there's, no, there's no point until we can get the left-hand side of that line actually working correctly. Because our whole inside line is working great. Our tackles are getting destroyed. And that's also why you were seeing problems with CEH playing. Because basically they were trying to do... He's a bit more of a finesse runner. And they were trying to, they were trying to run him power off tackles that weren't able to block anyone. Which was just shocking. Given how, given how good they have been at times during the season on it, it was just particularly poor showing uh, this week round. And uh, Orlando Brown, you're on my fucking radar at this point. Um, Baltimore at the Giants, 20 to 24. Uh, another Baltimore collapse. Uh, Lamar has 210 yards touchdown, interception, fumble, and 77 yards on the ground. Uh, he has two turnovers late, and yeah, just just big. Uh, your man who had the terrible interview with the with the around the NFL guys, Kenan Tribido, um, was in on <laughs> one on of Thibodeau. those. Yeah, Thibodeau. God, he was boring. Um, <laughs> But yeah, like big shock win, 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter, and then they just made it all back. Bandy Dimes, 173 yards, two touchdowns of the fumble, made the most of what they could, and Saquon went for nearly a buck and uh, and a touchdown. Um, yeah, just this this Baltimore team seems to constantly have 
the ability to just fumble away a win towards the tail end. Lamar struggled a little bit to read the defense, and we saw Kenyon Drake step up after they had an injury to, um, was it Dobbins who was in ahead of him? Um, but yeah, so Drake went over 100 and a touchdown, so uh, to your waiver wires, although I suppose this comes out in a Thursday, so it'll be too late for you. But um, yeah, this Baltimore team just can't get out of its own way, and this Giants team, oh, spicy times in New York City, boys. Two New York City teams, well, actually, neither of which play in New York City, um, doing very yeah, nicely. Actually, the only actually, team that plays in New York State is uh, also yeah. uh, doing quite well, though. So yeah. yeah, so that's good. So who's coming in on this one? Like, this is a game of what I kind of feel like is vibes. Because this is two teams where, like, I think the Ravens were the better team in this game. Like, there's no, no doubt about that. They were up by 10 points in the fourth quarter. They outgained the Giants 2-1, to one, basically. So this is a game where Baltimore should have won. But how many times have we said that this year? And they keep collapsing in themselves. And as we alluded to earlier with the, the Deshaun Jackson thing, there are some vibes around this team where I, I don't expect the Ravens to be a team with, you know, locker room infighting. But, you know, I suppose with the Lamar Jackson contract situation overhanging it, uh, obviously the wide receiver carousel that they've had there due to, you know, some understandable reluctance to be a wide receiver in uh, Baltimore due to the way that Lamar plays the game. And it just, it just feels a little bit off, right? Like, you know, it just felt like, you know, they were in a comfortable position, they were playing better, and yet they just weren't quite able to pull away from a Giants team, which, yes, respect, well, I'll talk about the moment, 5-1 and one and all that, but, you know, they're not the best team in the league. Like, I think that's fair to say. Um, like, I think, you know, they're, they're, they're flattered a little bit. Backward. And so I think for... Uh, the Ravens, you know, they put themselves in a situation to win this game. And then, you know, Lamar, who's obviously trying to play for that big money contract, makes just two ultimately, you know, completely unforgivable mistakes. He throws the interception. Um, and then when they're when they're in a situation where the Giants go up against them because of that, um, the, he makes the fumble. Kayvon Thibodeau forces the fumble out of him. Like, this is a situation where if you want to get paid like a 200 whatever million fully guaranteed contract you need to be able to show up in these key moments and he wasn't able to do that there and for a situation where there's so much at stake this season it kind of feels like things I don't think things will fall apart because this team is too talented and John Harbaugh is a great coach but I don't think they can reach quite the heights that we thought they might have before the season when they look like you know after last year being an injury ravage maybe things will come together and they can dominate it. I mean, a true factor in the AFC title game but they do look a step below um, your Bills your Chiefs in that division right and even within the division it's going to be tough whereas if you look at and then that's the vibes with Baltimore but then the vibes for the Giants are like the complete opposite if we you replay all the way back to week one where they somehow magic the win out of nowhere against Tennessee you know that felt like just oh yeah we could just win like this is a different team and we can just get it and it feels like they've just lived off that since then and every week they look like a team that no matter what situation they're in they're happy to keep playing. They're keep going at it. And I think that says a lot uh, to Brian Dayball. Like, they have momentum, and Brian Dayball is cashing in on it and making this team feel that they do have a genuine chance of beating a team like Baltimore, even if you're ten da- like down, down by 10 in the fourth quarter. Like, Saquon wasn't the superstar this time. Like, Saquon, yeah, he... he he made some good yardage at the end of this game to close it out, but ultimately he was mostly kept in check. But you didn't see Danny Dimes suddenly turn into the turnover machine that he has been in previous years. He did have a one fumble, but that was in a, uh, like an end-of-half scenario where it didn't really matter. So, you know, I think, you know, in previous years we'd seen Danny Dimes just, when the pressure was put on him, he'd just start doing stupid stuff. But now he trusts, I've got a defense that works. I know Saquon's going to get his stuff eventually. You know, this offensive line has got better. We've invested in it. Just keep doing what you're doing. Don't try to be the hero just take what you have and I think that 
you know, combination of that as overall as this young team is coming together, it just feels like it feels good right now. Now, I don't think at the end of the year they're going to be, you know, only have one loss. I think this team definitely has holes all across the roster that need to be filled up over time, like in the defensive backs and stuff like that. But that vibe, that thing, that means a lot. And to be honest, every other rookie head coach. Uh, this year and probably next year, it's going to hate Brian Table because what he's doing right here, it, it you know, it's mercurial. It's kind of a once in a gener- like generation type thing. But I think you know, once you have the momentum and you go into next season, this thing could generally build into something that will could be a factor uh, I- I- this year. If they can get into the playoffs this year, brilliant. But uh, in the future, that's what they're building towards, and it could be quite interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I see both New York teams as being quite similar in terms of, of why they're having the success that they're having. And it's about a belief in the system, a belief in your coach, a belief that every time you go out on that field, you have a chance of winning. And it makes it makes an incredible amount of difference if, if you have the level of belief that the Giants and the Jets players obviously do. They go out there and, and they, they know they have a chance. And they know that when they face teams like the Ravens, they have a chance if they're still within two scores at the fourth quarter because the Ravens might turn off and suddenly there's an opportunity. I mean, it is 90% coaching. I mean, I mean, Fitz is right that the the, the talent level is not just there, um, but that 90% of coaching is taking them an awful long way because there are there are teams in this league that are talented but are brittle that are that aren't coached well are are don't have the kind of team spirit that they need to or don't have the kind of coaching that they need to 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 execute. And this is the teams that the Giants and the and the Jets as well are picking off are teams that don't actually have the 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 the, the, cohe- the coherence um, at the kind of you know the the self the self narrative level if you want to call it that to, to go forward. So I mean, you look at the, the stats here and you're like, how did the Giants win this game? They had 238 total yards against 406 for Baltimore. There was you know there's nothing when you look down all the various things. There's nothing that stands out as being this is why this team won. And for 50. 52 53 minutes of this of this game in terms of game time they were losing uh, and then a couple of mistakes by by Lamar Jackson a big interception and a big fumble and suddenly the door was open and the Giants went well this is our opportunity and we'll take it Danny Dimes is avoiding the mistakes the team is is, is executing the way it needs to and it's gotten them to 5 and 1 and i as like like Ronan said i i don't believe this team is going to end up you know, at the higher echelon of the NFL, they probably might not even make the playoffs, given that they're not going to win their division, and it could be, it could get tricky. But they're a much better Giants team than I've seen in in, in about since the the Eli Manning uh, era. In terms of the Ravens, I mean, real questions about this team now. This is the third big collapse. This is a team that should be six and zero, but are three and three, and the, the questions have to come out about coaching, about mindset etc etc that they they didn't they didn't do what was necessary to win this game and they can't seem to be able to to finish games off they struggled to convert drives here which is the big thing they ended up with far too many field goals and they might have the best uh kicker in nfl history but still you know touchdowns are still worth more than field goals they couldn't get them going and they couldn't get that separation and then they had their collapse and it fell apart and it is all a mindset thing so we know this team is talented with lamar and the pieces they have on the front side and then defense has you know an immense talent as well this is a team that should be fighting against the ravens chiefs at the top end of the afc but they're not they're struggling now to to get over 500 um and you know they've got to fix this problem because it, do, it it doesn't seem like it's going away and it does seem to be a mindset thing because you know it happens once it's an accident it happens twice it's a disaster it happens three times it's a serious problem and they need to fix it they need to fix it soon or they're going to be mired into another eight and nine uh seven and ten type season 
Yeah, and shout out to Dominic Martindale for getting his revenge here. DC obviously fired by Baltimore. Certainly uh, got the last laugh here. <laughs> Next up, Jacksonville at Indianapolis, 27-34. to This is a big win for Indy. Ryan had his best game of the year, throwing nearly 60 times for 389 yards and three touchdowns. Pittman performed big time 13 of 14 13 for 134 sorry and uh they had to use their backup running back as taylor was held out but he was good uh Deion jackson went for 121 in the touchdown lawrence looked fine 165 in a touchdown they kind of went through the through the running backs with eddie and leading quite a potent rushing attack for them but for some reason because this Jacksonville team has been a defense that's been able to get pressure and get sacks. Um, they had no turnover sacks at all. Like it was, it was bizarre to me. I think I was saying in the in the preview last week, I was expecting them to fucking tear the shreds out of them because like Matt Ryan can't move. So I don't know how you're going to get a better target than that for them. But um, yeah, Indianapolis keeping themselves real relevant in the AFC South hunt, and I don't think I like it because. It, <laughs> it means I'm probably going to have to watch a bit more of this indie team, and I don't think they're very good. But like, I suppose, like 58 passes is not maybe what they had planned as a game script for the year. But like, this is probably closer to the type of performance we are expecting indie to be able to pull out this year, right, Fitz? Yeah, I think that's the hope here. Like Denver we're in the shithole and we just don't want to watch them. Whereas Indianapolis, they've always been a team that, or at least recently have been a team that generally kind of starts slow and then gets better. But like to be fair, the first part of this season, they were truly unwatchable. And this game, it wasn't pretty. Like Ryan had the pass a lot, like nearly 60 passes. But a lot of those passes were just, it kind of felt like him just kind of stepping backwards, stepping back and he's just him believing that Michael Pittman was going to get open over the middle of the field. And to be fair, in this game, that mostly happened. Pittman had 13 catches for 134. So it, it mostly worked from that sense. Um, so I think that's a positive thing to see that at least there's some element of that um, actual passing game rather than just the dump-offs, the running backs passing game um, that was actually functioning and working. Now, the dump-offs were still very present, like the backup running back, Dion Jackson, had 10 catches um, and most of those were, were dump-offs. He had a nice, couple of nice ones down the field as well, and obviously this is what they're probably hoping they'll get out of Jonathan Taylor when he comes back um, in the upcoming weeks. Um, maybe Deion Jackson has earned some more time on the field in addition to him. Um, but I think for them, I think, you know, because it's been so poor to see something like this where they were at least trying things, being adventurous, and they put in a few younger offensive linemen um, to shore things up, it's definitely a thing that makes you sense, okay, there's progress here, and the defense, while you know, it's still a bit of a disappointment. They're still missing uh, Leonard, so hopefully if he comes back, it might improve that again, and they can get back to being what we expected, which is a kind of solid enough team. You're not going to go out of your way to watch them, but, you know, if they show up on red zone, whatever, grand. On the other hand, Jacksonville are the complete opposite. Like, they were a team a few weeks ago that we were all getting pretty excited for. We thought, oh, that might actually have a kind of frisky team that we might actually be interested to watch in the playoffs, but... Since then, they've just collapsed again and again. And this kind of felt, this was very different from the loss that they had at the last few weeks, where it was really built on Lawrence making a huge number of mistakes. But it feels like the um, consequence of all those mistakes is that Lawrence played really conservative in this game. It just kind of felt like 
the Jacksonville Jaguars were just trying to control the clock, use the run game, which to be fair was highly effective. As you said, nearly 250 yards. So it made sense. And they had a 10-minute TD drive, um, which could have won this game if Indianapolis hadn't got the... Uh, uh, the, the touchdown that they got on Alec Pierce on the final throw, uh, which to be fair was a sign at least that they're trying things now in Indianapolis. They're doing interesting things occasionally. But for Jacksonville, it just kind of felt like, you know, this is a game that they should have won uh, quite easily. But the defense was poor. It wasn't getting turnovers. He said zero sacks, zero turnovers against a, an offense which has just been throwing away sacks and offenses like candy. Uh, but like they were a team who were in control of this game for the vast majority of the time. Um, they had more. They had uh, more yards for a lot of things, and especially in the first half. Like the second half was 50-50, but the first half, the Jags can feel bad because they were the better team in the first half, but they failed to convert that into actual, you know, points that made the difference. So it was tied up at the half, and then it just kind of mullied on from there. But like, look, I think for the Jags, there's so much. Yo- it's a young team, obviously trying to get over an awful 2021. Um, so we can see if they can get back up to confidence but for the Colts obviously for a team that is basically in win now mode they get something here and now they're very much in contention in uh, the ever uninspiring AFC South so uh, we are unfortunately obliged to keep talking about them for many weeks to come ah look you know just because they're live doesn't mean they're relevant so we can always uh, always try and push them away Tampa Bay at Pittsburgh fucking hell Tom get it together 18 to 20 Tampa Bay fail in the second on a two-point conversion the Pittsburgh get a close win Mitch Titties came in as we mentioned earlier 144 and a touchdown after uh, Pickett had his concussion it was you know obviously the injury rack Pittsburgh defense toughening up that were able to do it in the red zone Tampa Bay went one of four Brady had you know, decent yardage, 240 and a touchdown, but he was left unable to really find wide receivers on third down. He went 4 of 14 on third down, and uh, they even even attempted a, a little sneak, and it didn't work for him. So, like, this was not a great performance. Now, I kind of watched more uh, more, more of the, 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 the highlights of this than the entire thing. So, like, I know that there was images of him lecturing or or i suppose he would say encouraging his offensive linemen on the sides um was it all on the offensive line like this is a pittsburgh defense that didn't have its best rusher but we're still able to get the pressure this is a couple of games of tom brady looking see i want to say looks more human but he doesn't look more human he looks like an alien because now he's looking (laughs) gaunt and all of his weird fucking prosthetics are starting to show through but like this is a bottom feeder pittsburgh team that had a concussion to their starting quarterback and had Mitch Titties under centre and they lost, Sean. Yeah, I mean, I've been a Pats fan for a very long time and I can tell you that Tom Brady, when he's losing, always shouts at other people. It's always other people's fault whenever his team um, is losing. And some of the time that's true, but some of the time it's not. And definitely the Bucks this year, the offence, the, dynam- the dynamicism of that offence has just evaporated. And I think partly that is because Brady's in a little bit of decline, but partly it's just because whatever's happening uh, in terms of the schemes that they can't get to the big place that, that's going on. I mean, this is a team that's been consistently kind of failing on third downs uh, all season. They've been far too reliant on kicking field goals. They've been a team that's reliant on having their defense hold teams to, to low scores and then that their offense can get the 20 points or whatever necessary um, to win. And this was exactly how it was, was going here there. As you said, 4-14 four and 14 on third down. The, the Pittsburgh defense, which was missing most of its, its best pieces, Fitzpatrick, um, Watts, it was it was all like they, they they were they were still nonetheless able to prevent things going off. The the Bucks couldn't get any of their big plays off. They were being forced to 
grind it out. And Tom just doesn't seem to have that magic, the way he always seemed to be able to, to get pull drives together and to manage to manage situations to, to get enough points on the board at the end. The, the, the magic that was Brady, that he never looked... He very rarely looks spectacular or amazing, but he always seemed to get the win, and that magic is just gone. Now maybe that was maybe that was Giselle. Maybe Giselle was some sort of you know super witch that that had, you know had, had given um, him some sort of magic spell to to succeed because it doesn't it's look called, like an awful lot of. It's called the moisturizing routine. <laughs> Because it doesn't look like all that much has changed, but nonetheless, it's just not executing uh, anymore. And it's crisis time, I think, for this books team because they are. It's not clear. Well, this is happening in week one or week two. You can say, okay, they're they're feeling them, themselves out, but it doesn't feel like there's any evolution here. It doesn't feel like this team is problem solving. It feels like this team is, as Brady's doing, is blaming other people for their problems. It always feels like. I mean, this is maybe a downside of Tom Brady. He was he's always been so good. He's never really necessarily had to to learn how to deal with setback. For uh, he doesn't seem to be very good with dealing with setback, uh, and therefore maybe he just doesn't have the kind of the psychological tools to deal with this. Plus, you know, this all this stuff going on in his home life. Maybe he's not in the best mental space. Um, so the Bucks are in trouble. They're they're helped a little bit by the fact that their division is garbage. So there's still a good chance that they'll get make the playoffs. But I yeah. I don't count them in, you know, we think talk about the best teams in the NFC, Philadelphia, um, or whatever. I don't think of them in that kind of bracket anymore. In terms of Pittsburgh, I mean, it was a defense and special teams that won it. They, they defense kind of, as I said, clapped down on, on Tampa Bay getting third down conversions. They had a big special teams play as well. The offense basically had one good drive, which was, which was uh, driven as much, uh, by Claypool, uh, as it was by Trubisky, um, but it was enough. I mean, you have to give some credit where where it's due to Trubisky, who did come in and manage the scenario well. He got he got a little bit of the way Pickett came in a few weeks ago and gave the Steelers offense energy is what Trubisky did here. He he changed the, the scenario. He kind of pushed things um, forward. He, he kind of he was an impact sub if you want to if you want to use a soccer analogy, and it succeeded. I don't think that means he's good. I don't think that means he should be given the starting job. I just think in this particular scenario, he was the solution to the problem for some reason. And he, even then, he wasn't that great. It was just one, one and a half good drives, but that was enough um, to win this game. I mean, the Steelers are two and four. I would struggle to see them getting to 500 and to keep the Tomlin streak going because there's just there's just no talent there, especially with their defensive pieces on uh, big defensive pieces on the sidelines. So they're just kind of trying to put her along to, to, you know, transition to something better in the coming years. For the Bucks, I mean, it really feels like this is the end of this particular team, but also the end of Tom Brady as a force in the NFL. Um, and again, I mean, I hope I'm wrong about this, and we've been proven wrong about Brady so many times before that who knows he might end up winning Super Bowl number eight in February. But uh, yeah, it doesn't look good because it doesn't feel like this team is evolving and moving moving on to, to solve the problems that they're coming up against. Yeah, so we'll see if that if they can actually get it back on track because, Jesus, it would be kind of a kind of a grim one for, for Tom Terrific to finish up his career on a very down year. Uh, well, I, I mean, the fact year, right? that he basically has caused a divorce with his supermodel wife of 13 years because he wanted to retire by winning a Super Bowl... Um, for him to finish with, say, a, an eight or nine season and missing the playoffs would be, it would be, I mean, there's a certain element of karmic justice about it, but uh, it's still kind of sad <laughs> on one level, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up, Cincinnati and New Orleans, 30-26. to 26. Uh, 
Yeah, this one did not start out that way. New Orleans took a, took, took a strong handle at the start, but Cincinnati suddenly got back into their LSU nostalgia days and Burrow went 300 yards, three touchdowns, with Chase taking nearly half the yardage and two of the touchdowns. Like That was a, that was a, it was a big return to form for those two as he just kind of was able to run past DBs with no problem. New Orleans controlled the game early by just mostly running the ball. They had over 200 on the ground with a, a touchdown with Kamara getting about 100 of that. But when it push came to shove and they needed to eat some clock, they were not able to do it. Andy Dalton, who looked very old, Andy Dalton, 160 yards and a touchdown, uh, was a support act. Now, how much you can put on him is another question, given that I like, I don't think they had a single starting wide receiver out there from their standard set, right? Or maybe they have yeah, a... They were missing Thomas. They were missing... Uh, Lave. La- yeah, Lave. They are missing Landry. So, Jesus, yeah. yeah. So, so every everything was on backups for it. So like, yeah, and they they like they like I said, they kind of they did very well at the start of this game. They were kind of taking control in the first half, and then since he really started getting into it, this was a nicer look from from Cincinnati and Burrow and them to kind of get back into it, back into the groove of what you'd like to see them doing. And this is, you know, the opposite of the Tampa Bay who were looking a little bit on the downslope. This Cincinnati team looks a little bit more. Oh, yeah, like kind of perking up, kind of starting to get into it. Now, I'd have concerns about their defense following this performance that they just couldn't stop the run whatsoever. Um, but, yeah, like it's a, it's a solid win, particularly to come back after dropping behind a little bit early on. But what did you think, Fitz? Yeah, well, like the obviously the, the Saints uh, are in uh, are associated with Louisiana and LSU is obviously the alma mater for both Burrow and Chase where they made their name. And, uh, you know, they pretty much owned the place uh, uh, by the end of this game. Like, it didn't start out super hot, but by the end of this game, they were the ones making the big differences. They were the ones showing that they had the swag, and they were the ones who were showing that they're better players than the other guys on the other side. Like, you know, Chase's final touchdown, where he basically got a short pass out from Burrow and turned that into a 60-yard touchdown. That's the type of things that happen when you have people like Jamar Chase on your team who can make things happen. And, you know, I think overall, Cincinnati, maybe they're a victim of their own success, obviously having gone back to the Super Bowl last year. Like, I don't know if they were ever fully worthy of that. There was, like, they kind of caught the lightning to a certain extent. But I think, you know, after a rough opening stance of the season, they're starting to find themselves, getting the offensive line play relatively good. They only had three sacks in this game allowed. Um, and I think overall they will continue to grow. Now, it's a little bit over-reliant on Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase, but Joe Burrow is a stud. Joe Burrow is a guy who's happy to do that. Um, and I think that's a enough of a winning um, combination that they can definitely still be a factor in AFC playoff hunt as the year goes on. As for the Saints, like, look, they, they, I think they kind of were looked a lot more like the kind of traditional Saints that we're used to, what we thought we'd get into this year. They ran the ball well. Uh, Kamara's also looking to get back in form in recent weeks. That's good to see. Um, but they were also getting, you know, good production from the other running backs. Uh, they got a nice uh, kind of trick play on a jet sweep from Rashid uh, Shahid, which is a good name, uh, let's, let's be honest. Um, and it, just, it wasn't that much Taysom Hill involved here, which I think is probably, you know, a positive overall in terms of having uh, consistency on this offense. So I think the big thing for them is just that when the chips were down and you have Andy Dalton, you have no wide receivers, and they had a chance to, you know, to respond to the last Cincinnati touchdown, they weren't able to do it. And when they had um, a chance to, to, to end this game, uh, there was about four minutes left in the clock, they weren't able to do it then either. So, you know, at the end of this game, you just saw that, you know, 
Andy Dalton is not Joe Burrow. I think Cincinnati are well aware of that. And that when you have no wide receivers, when you don't have a Jamar Chase, and like Kamara is a very talented player, but he's a running back and there's only so much he can do. Um, you just see the difference there. And I think Cincinnati, you know, it's a big win for them. They kind of get to keep them in the AC hunt. And New Orleans, like, they're talented enough that they'll probably pick up wins here and there, but they just don't feel like a real factor here um, for, for January purposes, really. Yeah. Uh, next up, Jets at Green Bay. <laughs> 27-10. Um, more New York pain for Green Bay as Rodgers, having just lost to the Giants last week in London, uh, went for 20, 246 yards, uh, touchdown and a fumble as his O-line let them through four sacks, nine QB hits, and the rushing didn't do anything, 19 for 60. This was uh, unusual. There was no separation for his receivers. He had some unusual play calling going on it. And the Jets just did what the Jets will do in their current form and capitalized on it. They leaned on Brees Hall, 121 yards and a touchdown on the ground. As Wilson, who had a fairly quiet day, just over 100 yards. Um, Williams had two sacks. They had their, 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 their defensive rookie of the year candidate, Sauce Gardner, leading the defense and the special teams, punt blocks, touchdown, field goal blocks. Uh, and going around and pissing off the entirety of the crowd by putting on a cheese head and pretending to be one of the wide receivers for the Green Bay, or sorry, rather getting getting mistaken for one of the Green Bay players and just kind of kind of taking the mick out of the fans. This was a great win for the Jets. Um, I talked about it a little bit beforehand, but like they are really building a nice core with these young players and they're getting these types of wins. Uh, for Green Bay, Holy shit, it's kind of fallen down around their ears at the moment. You're hoping that this is a little bit of a hangover from the from the traveling over to the UK. We know that statistically that tends to have a negative impact on them when they're coming back. Uh, but they have just not looked up to form this season. The defense has been not really great. The offense has had spits and spurts here where it worked, but there's nothing consistent in it. Like, we're saying kind of a bad year for Tom Brady in what might be his last year. This is a bad-looking year for, for Aaron Rodgers in what will be almost certainly his last year with Green Bay, if all the rumors are to be believed, John. Yeah, I mean, you begin to wonder why he even stuck around for an extra year, especially if he knew that Devonta Adams was going, if this is what he was going to be end up with. I mean, the problems that this team have, the, the, what has dropped off from this team from last year is the offense and specifically the passing game that they... He just, they just haven't found a way to solve the giant Devonta Adams-shaped hole in their offense. And Rodgers just doesn't have a, co- uh, a receiver that he's comfortable throwing to in that situation. And that means his team just cannot get going, especially when they're facing a, a team on the other side that is willing to fight them. We've talked an awful lot on this pod about, you know, the soft underbelly of this Packers side. When they're in a fight, they tend to, to shrink away rather than to rise to the occasion. And this is exactly what happened here once again, the, the Jets team with great hustle, never going to back down. They were blocking field goals. They were blocking punts. They were fighting for every ball, fighting for their coach in every situation. And the Packers were just not up for the fight. Um, and offensively, they just couldn't get going. I mean, Robert Tanyan, the tight end, was the highest receiver in terms of yardage for this game. And that's, that's a very bad sign because that is not the kind of game that Aaron Rodgers wants to be playing. He doesn't really want to be throwing short balls, safety, safety, short balls to his wide to his tight end he wants to be finding wide receivers down the field he wants to be taking shots he wants to be opening up the field and etc etc and that's that's demonstrates the problem they're having that he can't play the game that he wants 
And that combined with the fact that they, you know, they don't have a fight in them means that they're going to have games like this where they are. It's a three-three grind until you know. Uh, midway through the third quarter, then the, the Jets go on a bit of a run. They start to get some momentum. They start to figure things out, get going. And the Packers just did not have an answer for that. They could not step up their play in any way whatsoever. To end up with 10 points when you have Aaron Rodgers under center is, is just an embarrassment that they just don't have the answers here. And it's much of a coaching thing as it is as a player's thing. They just don't have solutions uh, anywhere at all. And like Tampa Bay, I mean, you just don't see that evolution. You don't see them having discovered that that solve they're not trying new things they're, they're not experimenting all that much Rogers seems to be I want to play a certain way but he just doesn't have the personnel to play that way uh, anymore in terms of Jets I mean it's amazing what this team is doing we I uh, to watch this team evolve from last year being you know a, a plucky team you know spirited that they will fight and sometimes pull games close on red zone but ultimately lose far more games than they're going to win to turning into this team now that is that is able to to go to Lambeau and win that is able to get into games against you know big teams led by superstar quarterbacks to hold on in them and then get a spurt and then pull things away it really does show how far you can take a team with good coaching and good team spirit they've got a great young core on the offensive side I mean Zach Wilson maybe isn't the answer at quarterback but apart from that they have all the other pieces starting to fall into place another great day for Brees Hall over 100 yards um, that they they really took this game by scruff and neck and run, ran away with it. Um, I mean the the Packers defense was disintegrating at the end by the challenge. They just they just did they just didn't know how to deal with them. And the defense, which was the kind of weak spot in the early parts of this of the season for the Jets, um, is getting better every week. They're making fewer mistakes. That they're making more executing executing more plays, which is what you'd expect from Robert Sala team. I think we're finally starting to see Sala's imprint on this team, and it's starting to turn out to a very exciting team. Altogether, it's just sad for them. They still happen to be falling into what appears to be the toughest division in football. The AFC East appears to have now four good teams who are going to be fighting it out, and you just hope that they can pick up enough wins. But if they play like this, there's nothing to stop them making the playoffs. There's nothing to stop them being the wildcard team that no one wants to play because they will give them a hell of a game and fight to the to the bitter end. Yeah, no, it's a uh, it's a good time to be a Jets fan. I. No, three of them, I think. So. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and look, look, you got people like Sauce Gardner wearing the cheese head after the game. You got to respect that, you know. No, yeah, no, no, it's good stuff. Um, as you say, look, all games are important. Just some of them aren't that important. So we let Ronan handle those ones in the dump off. Yeah, we're obviously into uh, bye season now, so the dump off will be a little bit smaller, but uh, just as important as it ever is, I'm sure, in other ways. Uh, so we'll start off with a few uh, disappointing primetime games, which, to be fair, over here in Europe, we're happy to quarantine those for your uh, American evenings. Uh, first up, Dallas at Philadelphia, 17-26, uh, a big win for Philadelphia. And like, look, this game, uh, it, you know, Philadelphia, they they raced out to an early win here, an early lead here, 20-3, um, powered by a few try. Cooper Rush, who overall was definitely looking like the magic was, was, was running out with three interceptions this game. He 181 a touchdown to, to counter that. But, yeah, I think this team is ready for Dak Prescott to come back. Uh, and then, you know, when Dallas came back into this game, uh, obviously getting the 17 points, 17-20, uh, the Philadelphia were able to ramp up again and get the key touchdown that they needed to kind of kill that comeback. Uh, I think, you know, Hertz was efficient, 182 and two touchdowns. Um, the offense was balanced. They ran the ball well with Miles Sanders and the defense... Uh, was obviously opportunistic in picking off uh, Cooper Rush when required. 
Um, I think for Dallas overall, you know, given like if we look at the, the, the Cooper Rush era, uh, in retrospect, in theory, uh, the run game looks better. Like Zeke looked good in this game. They had 134 touchdown total. Um, the defense looks better. So in week one, when they looked like a terrible team with Dak Prescott to now a team that looks solid, um, but with Dak Prescott going back, things look okay. But Philadelphia are certainly still the, the creme of the NFC East and indeed the NFC in total. Next up, Monday Night Football, Denver at the Chargers, 16-19 win in overtime. This was pretty goddamn grim, which is unfortunately becoming a trend with this Denver team, uh, but they definitely pulled the Chargers down to their level. Um, Hopkins kicked the uh, winning field goal, 39 yards in this game, um, although he got injured after the first kick, so he was literally just like throwing himself out there and sacrificing himself. You imagine the Simpsons situation with the leg falls off and goes through the post, but... Um, yeah, like to tell you how grim this was at the, by the end of it, like there were zero first downs in overtime that required a uh, muff punt uh, by Washington to get this game to be over. And I think we're all glad to be it over, whether you are watching it live or watching the, uh, watching the um, highlights. Um, the first half was actually okay. Russ had a touchdown. He looked okay. Um, but the second half, he just literally did, he didn't just disappeared. He became worse than disappeared. He had like minus 13 passing yards in the second half that's absolutely terrible and the one factor that might explain it is that jc jackson who's been a big disappointment for the chargers uh, was pulled at halftime and the guys that they brought in were obviously just able to uh, keep their assignment now there's still a bunch of screenshots of russell wilson missing guys who are wide open and um, so obviously it wasn't just that they made that change to chargers in defense but yes that there are very bad things happening in denver and i am tired of having to talk about them uh, but given that I'm in charge of this section, I am afraid I'm obliged to probably for the foreseeable future. Uh, Herbert, on the other hand, he looked pretty poor in this game. He'd had a couple of comeback games uh, where he looked better after the injury scare earlier this season. But this game was pretty poor. The, the Denver defense was able to get to him constantly. He only had 238 and an interception. So, you know, overall a game of offensive struggle, particularly as the game wore down and it got worse and worse. And given the amount of flags that they were throwing around for both offenses as well, you know, it's just very ugly. But, you know, the Chargers get the win. They move on. Um, they think if they can compete in the AFC playoff hunt. Uh, TNF, Jesus Christ, it was bad as expected. 12-7 win for Washington. They do just enough. But, like, to be honest, it was mostly Chicago just throwing opportunity after opportunity away. Like, Wentz was pretty terrible overall. Like, 100 yards, no touchdowns. Um, the run game was, like, adequate, we'll say. 4.8 year per carry. Led by um, Brian Robinson, to be fair fair Jews are coming back after getting shot in the leg uh, but Washington were terrible in this game and they only won because you know Fields he had some nice moments you know he had a touchdown he had 88 yards rushing uh, you know nearly 300 yards in total but you know he was harassed constantly by this Washington defense which is starting to look at least adequate um, you know two turnovers five sacks four tackles for a loss and you know they had way more yards they had twice the yards of the Washington team but they took zero points from three red zone opportunities that's just exceptional inefficiency um and yeah this is a team that just settles for field goals turns the ball over just can't get out of its own way um, and against a team like washington who, who are equally good at losing um that's not great for them going forward next up minnesota and miami 24 to 16 uh, don't be fooled by this score this was mostly a snooze fest um a late cook touchdown uh, for 53 yards kind of pulled minnesota away after they'd mostly been in control but miami made a chance of coming back um, Cousins really outside of throwing to Jefferson with over 100 yards did nothing Teddy Bridgewater played most of this game he obviously didn't look ready he threw uh, two interceptions but as the game went on he got came into himself like the overall talent level of this offense shown through Hill had a big game Jalen Waddle had a big game although he had a key drop 
um, that turned into an interception off a deflection and he had a key fumble. So obviously not great in those, but overall it was explosive in terms of yardage. Um, but like, you know, I think this is a team that Miami that, you know, if they get to a back, I think things will start making sense again. But like, it's been weird with them, right? They, the offense is so explosive, so many, but their actual number of points they put up has been pretty poor. That's something to keep an eye on going forward. Um, like there might be an empty yards problem here, but Minnesota, like, look, they were good enough, and they're now, uh, I think, the second highest team in the NFC, and I suppose that makes sense. But this wasn't a game that made you go, "Oh wow, they've turned the corner." They do still have a bit of that old Minnesota in them, it feels like. Uh, next up, Arizona at Seattle, nine to nineteen, a surprisingly defensive-led game for two defenses that are terrible. Um, the Seattle defense had two turnovers, an interception fumble, the interception coming from Tariq Woolen, who's now had four in a row. He's looking like a stud um, as a rookie cornerback. But Kyler just looked lost again in an offense that's not doing anything. They were one for five on fourth down because, you know, uh, Cliff Kingsbury just likes being aggressive for whatever reason. But Kyler, there were moments where he was making yards, but those turnovers are just killer. Um, at key moments and just kind of let Seattle get away with this like like Arizona had no um, had no offensive scores in this game like their touchdown came off a blocked punt so that can idea what it was as for Seattle like they're in a situation where you know it wasn't amazing like Gino was held mostly in check but the, the rookie Kenneth Walker comes in and does a really good job of rushing the ball and getting them a lot of yards that way. And so I think overall it was solid for Seattle. I wouldn't take away that they're now a great team, but it was enough for them in this case to get it done. Um, next up, San Francisco and Atlanta, 14 to 28. I think all of the injuries finally stacked up for San Francisco and a you know fairly functional, maybe even spicy Atlanta team led by Mariota got the job done. Mariota, 120 yards and 29 yards and two touchdowns uh, passing. 50 yards and touchdown rushing. Rushing is still the thing he does well, and Arthur Smith has gone full hog on rushing. He's like going, okay, he must have just gone into his like imagination palace and gone, what if I just imagined I have Derrick Henry and then just played the game as if Derrick Henry was actually his running back instead of a Ligier and uh, Caleb Huntley. But, you know, it worked here. Like, they had 34 carries for 118 yards and the defense was opportunistic with three turnovers. Like, Jimmy G looked uncomfortable all game um, and the, the fact that the San Francisco team is always bad at coming back just looks particularly true right now when the defense is unable to get stops and Atlanta were able to chew the clock as the game went on. And, yeah, they had long drive San Francisco but they weren't converting into points particularly one towards the end of this game that they, they, they could that, that they turned over on downs that kind of illustrated the point there so look San Francisco if they're ahead and they can run the ball they look good if they go behind even against a team like Atlanta whose defense isn't great things look pretty pretty bad for them next up New England and Cleveland another uh, Belichick masterclass as New England win 38 to 15 he extracted three turnovers from Jacoby Brissett, one of his former protégés, uh, and four sacks and two, seven tack, two tackles for a loss. But the big thing was they took away the run game. 70 yards allowed to one of the best run games in the league, and Brissett was forced to carry the load and wasn't able to do it as the windows he had to throw into were tight all game. Even the touchdown that he threw to Amari Cooper was basically in the tightest window and very well could have been called as, as not, a, not a touchdown because uh, Cooper was at the sideline. So... You know, Stefanski abandoned the run early. I'm not quite sure what that was about, but like we'll see if he can uh, make better of it going forward. Uh, for New England, like, the big thing is that the defense is looking really good and that Zappi actually looks pretty competent. 309 yards and two touchdowns. Um, Stevenson was actually host mostly held in check, only 76 yards, uh, but he did get the two uh, vital touchdowns in the run game. So they like Cleveland took away what New England was supposed to be good at the run game, and yet New England still looked way better with a backup 
guy. Uh, so overall, I think, you know, checkmate to uh, New, New England and Belichick here. Um, someone to keep an eye on going forward um, as they play better teams again. And finally, oh God, Carolina at the Rams, 10 to 24. Look, the Rams win, but more accurately, Carolina lose because Carolina are absolutely terrible. Like PJ Walker was so conservative. He was throwing the ball like behind the scrum scrimmage or one yard and DJ Moore was just wasted out there. And they brought in Jacob Eason late and at least he was willing to throw it down the field. And that was nice. So outside CMC going in for nearly 160 yards, they didn't have anything happening. And the Rams, like they had another interception here that went for a pick six, uh, but they at least had a semblance of the rhythm that we saw that got them to the Super Bowl last year. But it's still a very, very poor simulation uh, uh, simulacrum of what they had last year. And a lot of improvement is needed. The Rams are actually going to beat good teams going forward. Um, but yeah, thankfully Carolina are not a good team and are so terrible that I don't think they could beat anyone right now. Um, one note is that like, Sam Darnold, I think, is coming off IOR now. So, hey, maybe Sam Darnold is the answer they need. Uh, but if Sam Darnold's the answer, I don't know what the question could be. Anyway, that's the uh, dump off for week six. We'll be back next week. Okay, so first up, we have Thursday Night Football, New Orleans at Arizona. Oh, God, come on, schedule makers, give us something. Um, me and Fitz have gone for New Orleans. Sean's gone for Arizona in this one. Uh, Ronan... Can Arizona get back on track with all the pieces they're missing? Well, look, DeAndre Hopkins is back, and some people believe that that will solve all the offensive issues because Kyler Murray will trust throwing the field down the field again because DeAndre Hopkins fixes everything. But uh, I'm not so sure about that. There seems to be some systemic issues with that team. I've obviously not been a fan of Click Three from the start, so this does have the feel that Arizona could be on a terminal decline right now. Against New Orleans, though, they're against a team where we have no idea how many wide receivers they have. We know of no idea who's going to start a quarterback. The defense hasn't been quite where it was uh, we expected when Dennis Allen became head coach. So they can definitely beat a New Orleans team. But I don't know. New Orleans are solid, whereas Arizona are just chaotic. So I'm willing to give New Orleans the, sh the favor here. But really, both these teams can lose uh, easily at any given day. Yeah, this is not a not a good go to Thursday night uh, game. Yeah, I just think given the success on the ground last week. <laughs> They should be able to hopefully do it's it. It's technically better. Like, it is so. technically better, yes. Um, well, geez, Ron, we're coming to you twice now already because this is your pick of the week. Cleveland at Baltimore. We've gone for Baltimore across the board. I was contemplating the Cleveland one here um, because Baltimore just have a have a true ability to piss away games that they should win. But tell us about this one, Ronan. Yeah, so this is really, obviously, a really important game within the NFC North. We're talking about a situation where both these teams could easily be you know if not undefeated certainly right up there in terms of wins with the Chiefs and 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 the Bills and stuff like that but have you know contrived to lose games in a number of differently uh, surprising ways so like I think look with the Ravens they're a more talented team um Lamar is mostly playing better though he has cooled a little bit off over his kind of MVP level form that he showed in the early weeks of the season but the big thing for Baltimore is that their defense at key times is making huge mistakes and the offense in Lamar has now started making key mistakes at those uh, crunch times as well so you know I think for them the focus should be kind of replicating to a certain extent what New England did last week to take away the run, which to be fair, they mostly did against the Giants until the end of the game. Uh, and if they can do that, we can see that Jacoby Brissett's a guy who can throw the ball to the other team, who can fumble the ball. And so maybe a guy like Marcus Peters can show up, uh, who's obviously happy to kind of keep his eyes in the backfield advantage of quarterbacks who you know, are a bit slow on the trigger, which Brissett has always been. So I think Baltimore, they want to control the, control the run game, keep 
force it into Brissett's hand and then just have defense that doesn't make key mistakes and doesn't have defense that, that kind of lets Cleveland uh, do easy things. Um, on the offense, obviously, they're hoping to get Rashad Bateman back. They'll be hoping to have some of their other offensive weapons back. They've obviously just um, signed Deshaun Jackson. I think just having something that's not Mark Andrews would just be very positive for this team. And if they can get the run game going in a consistent, just grind the clock out way, that would also be good. Like, they had a lot of yards running last week, but it was mostly explosive games from Kenyon Drake randomly. Just that kind of, like, if they're going to close out games, having a grinding running game, not just Lamar explosion or Kenyon Drake explosion, is definitely something they need. As for Cleveland, I suppose, you know, implicitly from what I said for what Baltimore need to do, they need to run the ball well. They need to get back to trust the run. Like, Nick Chubb is a stud. Don't take the ball away from him just because you're behind a bit. Trust the process. Trust the, uh, the, um, zone blocking scheme that will get it done against this and just keep going because I think if you put on Brissett you're probably going to lose regardless so you might as well trust the guy that gets the job done and their defense which has just been suffering from injury after injury I think Miles Garrett is going to play but he has another knock it, it just needs to get better there's enough talent there even with some injuries along the def- defensive line that they should be doing better than they are like the defense has just collapsed the last few weeks and they need to be able to stop the run um, as well they're going to have make a chance of this so i think baltimore we have more trust them in terms of talent um we're obviously trust a lot more in lamar than we do percent i think john harbaugh right now despite all the issues in the locker room i still trust him more than Stefanski as a coach so i'm going to edge it to baltimore but this is a this should be a pretty tense but very important game in the afc north which is obviously very close right now with every team three and three or two and four yeah next up tampa bay carolina oof uh Going for Tampa Bay across the board, Sean. Do you think the return of Sam Darnold will be able to help Carolina? I mean, it can't hurt, right? Uh, I mean, I would not want to be a Panther fan right now. There, not an awful lot going on anywhere really in that team, and uh, and rumors they're only that they're is... trying to fire sale everyone of quality off the team as well. Yeah, so yeah. Like... I mean, you 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 take Robbie Anderson away from this team, and suddenly it's like, well, what do they even have anything anymore? I mean, it is. I mean, they have to start building entirely around CMC until he breaks down from injury. I think is the only thing they have doing here the, the, the current, in the this current, game trying to shop him to several teams so yeah, like yeah, we, he might yeah. not be on them by the time we get there although i think they're looking for like multiple first round picks which no yeah. one is giving an already paid running back uh in this game i mean their hope is that obviously the books are in a bad way and the meltdown continues um the problem of course being is the books of one of the best run defenses of the past few years so if Carolina do want to run it on the ground as their way of getting forward, they're not going to score a lot of points that way, and they don't really have a passing game to compensate for that. I mean, I think even in the form that the Bucks are in, I think that they're they'll do enough to win it. They the the defense will clamp down the Panthers. It could be hard for the Panthers to to get above maybe ten or twelve points in this game, and then the Bucks will do it enough. So it'll probably be a low scoring game, maybe something like twenty to twelve or eighteen to twelve or something. But I I have enough faith that even uh, fading Tom Brady, who's you know going through some shit, still has enough to to, to beat a Panthers team that's this bad. Like the only the only saving grace for them could be that like the Carolina defense did play well a couple of weeks back that like if they can get back to that there isn't like the, the tampa bay team is struggling but yeah like yeah tampa bay across the board atlanta at cincinnati is up next um so like this atlanta team i just cannot work out for the life of me like they won they did well last week but like with a quarterback performance of like 130 yards or something like it's it's just confusing i i'm 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 going cincinnati in this one because 
I understand what they're doing on offense. They looked like they were getting a lot of pieces right last week. Their run game starts to be coming together a little bit more. Their passing game, the chase is coming together nicely. The defense still needs a bit of work, and that's why I think there's a case to be made for both sides in this one. Like this is Cincinnati's defense and Cincinnati's offensive line are two things that are quite exploitable this year, and you'd hope that they'd round into form a little bit better on. Whereas Atlanta. I don't know. With Cordell Patterson out, I'm not sure the whole, like, we're just going to run it in more and more interesting ways with Kyle Pitts as a lead blocker is uh, is enough. But I'm also, I, 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 I can see, Sean, you've gone for Atlanta in this one. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little counterintuitive because, I mean, the Bengals are obviously the better team on paper. But I find it hard to trust the Bengals team this year. It kind of feels like they, it felt like they were taking a few steps forward, but, the, the, you know, the last few weeks, which has not looked as great. That O-line still looks quite weak. And I just feel that they maybe have a slip-up in them. Um, this Atlanta team, there's obviously not an awful lot in them, but they there is a, there was a little bit of a spiciness to them in, in beating the Niners. They did look a little bit more competent than we think. Um, I think, yeah, I think they it won't be the best. If Atlanta win, it won't be the best game of football that's ever been played, that's for sure. Um, but if they can clamp down on, on, on Burrow in terms of getting the pressure on him, if they can close out Jamar Chase and then just grind it out the other side, I can definitely see Atlanta winning a grim one here. But I would much rather watch the Bengals, you know, burn them for 40. But I just, I, I don't know if it's going to happen because I don't think it's the same Bengals team as last year. Yeah, like I think Cincinnati, I trust the the guys who are the best in them. They have Joe Burrow, they have Jamar Chase. And if you have that against the Caleb Huntley, Tyler Legier, run the ball, pretend you're Terry Henry thing, I'm always going to pick the first one. Uh, a, because I want to see more of that, to be honest. Like, Atlanta, like, they're a fun story and fair play to Arthur Smith for getting to the 3-3 three and three and the joint top of the NFC side. But, you know, I, I like the Bengals and I want them to win and I think they're the more talented team, so it would make sense if they won. Now, next up is my pick of the week, Detroit at Dallas. Uh, me and Sean have gone for Detroit. And Fitz is going for Dallas. Uh, this is going to be a very enjoyable game i think um so you've obviously got look dallas have been kind of defined by their defense stepping up while they've had the rookie quarterback in place and now in theory at least dak is back for this game we haven't got absolute confirmation but that's what most of the reporting is pointing towards you'd like to see that that would mean that they'll get a little bit more out of the receiving cores the running game started to pop off last week so that should be good and let's be frank this detroit lions defense is atrocious so i am expecting to see points being scored by dallas on the other side of the ball, Dallas's defense has been playing excellently. Detroit's offense has been, for the most part, I think apart from the game against New England, was it, have been putting up big points most of the time. And we need to bear in mind the one where they didn't score basically anything uh, was whenever they were missing several of their key pieces. So they, as much as Dak is coming back for Dallas, and that's a big move, we've got Swift and Amon Ra coming back for the Detroit team. So we're going to see them with their weapons again. TJ Hawkinson is back as well. Like this is, this is two teams coming in that are actually coming in at relatively good. Uh, good nick at this point having having gone through the injuries rather than not had them um so i'd imagine a high scoring i'd imagine exciting i'm picking detroit because i think dallas have excellent form in pissing away wins and so too did detroit i believe in detroit's ability to change that more than i believe in mccarthy to be able to change that so i think dallas lose and it'll also then be a little domino thing if then they'll start to be like, oh man, maybe 
Maybe Cooper Rush is better than Dak. Maybe that is the route that we should be going. We'll get great, really crappy Dallas news coverage for the for the following for the following week or so. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, I, I th- I'm picking Detroit as well, and that is mostly just a enjoyment. I want I want to live in a universe where the Detroit Lion win wins games because they're such a fun team to watch and. If their defense was even you know five percent better, they would they would be a serious team in this league because their offense, especially with the Swift and Amon Ra, the really good pieces, is just so exciting to watch. Um, so I, I want I want to watch this game be like a 35, 34, or 40, 39, and, and I want the Lions to win because I want to keep encouraging that kind of gameplay. I mean, you can make the case that obviously the Cowboys will they're much better defensively, and with Dak coming back, they they will have theoretically more fire offensively but they didn't look great in week one on with with Dak under center before he went out injured so I, I don't think that the problems have been solved by the Cowboys I don't think this offense is, is quite clicking where it needs to even with Dak there um and so I mean yeah they're maybe not a rational pick but I do think I do want to see the Lions win so I'll go for them yeah like look I'm picking Dallas because I think like they're a more balanced team overall. They obviously have superstars in defense like Michael Parsons who are having great seasons and they've been able to get pressure on opposing quarterbacks. And we know that Jared Goff's the guy who will turn the ball over if he's put under too much pressure. Um, and I'm sure there's a template from New England that they'll be trying to replicate in Dallas. And, you know, while Dan Quinn is no Bill Belichick, he is a very good defensive coordinator. And on the offense, yes, there's a lot more uncertainty, but I think they've got the run game going. They have guys like C.D. Lamb. So, look, I think Dallas are just a talented team. They, they kind of kept up and got back into a game against Philly, um, who are obviously one of the best teams in the league. So I think they have enough to get take care of Detroit here. Next up, Green Bay at Washington. Fuck's sake, Green Bay, you better actually pull this one out. Uh, <laughs> like Washington, it's going to be Tyler Heineke or someone else that's going to be playing because they've got an injury to it's Taylor Heineke that's been confirmed by uh, oh, okay that's good um, like this is a Washington team that look we've said it a couple of times there's, there's a couple of talented pieces on both offense and defense it's just that nothing seems to be coming out of it for the most part um, maybe they can do it but Green Bay you've lost two back to back I think first time they've done that in quite some time this is an opponent that you should have no problem dealing with. You're going up to them. You've got to get this done. They don't have the cornerbacks cause the issues. Your worry is if they do manage to get that young defensive line actually moving properly, which they've seen flashes of it, but we've not seen it consistently for a full game yet. Like Green Bay's offensive line was Swiss cheese last week. So you better hope that that doesn't start getting going because like, Rodgers might just retire in middle of the game. Like that chap did for the bills a couple of years back. Um, yeah, it's like I can't, I can't see a logical reason that Green Bay would lose this game to the Commanders with a backup quarterback in place, and that's why I'm starting to really worry about the fact that we've all gone for Green Bay because that uh, that stresses me out a little bit. But yeah, like, oh, Green Bay, just get out, get out, get out of the nosedive, get out of the nosedive. This could be a very grim game. <laughs> it very much could be. And uh, yet, I don't actually mind with these two because if either of them struggle. It's like, yeah, they kind of deserve it. <laughs> yeah. Next up is Sean's pick of the week. Uh, God, can you imagine? We could just send these messages back eight weeks to ourselves in the preseason and be like, Sean, you're going to be picking the Giants going to the Jags as your pick of the week in week six. You'd think you'd lost a bet to us or something. 
Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, this is one of the, it's been a strange NFL season for the reasons that teams like the Giants and the Jags are relevant, and this is just the latest symptom of it. Obviously, you've got the Giants, I mean, on an amazing run, great coaching, not a tremendous amount of talent, but they're making it work in every situation. And you've got the the Jags, who are my preseason hype, who looked, early on, looked very good this season. I mean, the big win against the Chargers, obviously, comes to mind. We, we thought Trevor Lawrence was coming into his game. We thought the team was getting over the Urban Meyer fiasco and was starting to use the pieces that they had. The addition of Christian Kirk kind of opened up their offense a little bit. But that's kind of fallen off the radars. I mean, the last few weeks haven't been great. And obviously, a, a very disappointing loss to the Colts has kind of hampered them. And suddenly, they find themselves 2-4, and four, which is much more Jags territory. Um, so on paper, obviously, given we're both these teams are you would think the Giants would probably be the favorite and we've all gone for the Giants across the board and you can certainly see that but I do wonder if the Jags there's a little bit of magic in there obviously um, Doug Peterson being a former uh, Eagle he will know a little bit about the Giants I mean it's been a while since he's coached against them but he would have a sense of the team culture and, and perhaps ways of approaching against them that could be interesting. I'd like to see the Jags do well here. I, I think they need to get their season back on on track. Obviously, uh, just to keep my own uh, my own predictions going. But I like I liked I like this team. I like them since we watched them in London last year. That they are one of these bad teams that have a bit of spirit about them, and I, I love teams like that. And obviously, watching Trevor Lawrence evolve is is good things. So I would be happy either way. Um, but I do think the way that the momentum the Giants have at the moment, the coaching, the way it's all. Clicking together, they'll have a game plan and they'll execute it and, and they and they should win. Yeah, well, we have to trust the team that's winning, that they're going to keep winning, and a team that is, can't get out of their own way in Jacksonville. Like, I think we saw last week that they kind of went within themselves and decided to be very conservative. And I think, like, look, they have talented guys in the run game. James Robinson and Etienne are a great pair of running backs, so there's reasons to do that. But, you know, we thought we were going to get Trevor Lawrence taking that step up this year. Obviously, a super-hyped quarterback prospect, and he just hasn't done it. And, like, to be honest, the last few weeks you know, Danny Dimes looks better than Trevor Lawrence. I, I know I shouldn't say that, but it's true based on what we've seen. He has avoided the turnovers. He's played what he's g- taken, what's given in front of him, and he's been accurate, which is something that can't be said for Trevor Lawrence. The biggest thing with Trevor Lawrence isn't just the turnovers, but he just has way too many balls for this supposedly great quarterback that just sail over his receiver, um, and including gimmies like, you know, kind of outrights to a running back at the red zone. Just there's something a little bit off with his mechanics and he needs to work on it. So look, the Giants, the vibes are right. Um, so I think they can get it done here. But like Jacksonville, they're a talented team. So, you know, you got to give them a shot. But Giants, they're the form team right now. Let's get them get them another win here. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on that. Next up, Indianapolis at Tennessee. Uh, I find this one very hard to pick. I've gone for <laughs> Tennessee with Fitz and Sean's gone for Indy. Uh this is probably quite important for who's going to win the AFC South. Uh, Indianapolis, you know, got back on track with a good win last week. Um, but is, you know, the corpse of Matt Ryan throwing 60 times a game a sustainable approach to it? They would expect to have um, uh, the running back back in. Jonathan from, Taylor. Jonathan Taylor back in this week. Uh, I think he's kind of doing some limited practice at the moment. So that would suggest that he'd be coming in. Tennessee, look. They've not looked very good this year, although they have started to get Derek Henry going again. Tannehill looking a little bit, uh, a little bit more like he was before. Like uh, the thing is, just I, I find this a hard one to talk about because I just don't care about either of these teams. 
Like, yeah, well, Sean's, uh, you know, expressive yawning probably gives an indication of where we are yeah. on these two teams. Like, Tennessee <laughs> have been very... I'm, I'm, I'm swapping to Indianapolis, <laughs> just purely on the basis of... I'll, I, I'd rather I'd rather watch... Uh, I'd rather watch, like, Pittman and stuff than, like... Because there's, there's nothing in Tennessee. Like, there's nothing. Well, look, Derrick Henry has looked more like Derrick Henry before they went into their bye. Um, they've been... So, like, Tennessee just look kind of like what Tennessee have been in the Ryan Tannehill era for so long. They're a step below where they were last year where they somehow got the number one seed. Um, so it's been a bit slower when they're 3-2. and two, But they, they have the same DNA. They run the ball well. The pass game is okay. Um, albeit it's obviously taking a step down without AJ Brown. And the defense, the defensive line is very strong. The rest of the defense is pretty meh. Um, so overall, they've been okay. They've been pretty weak on their defensive uh, backfield. Uh, sorry, not in, in terms of defensive back. So Indianapolis, if they choose to go down the pass-heavy route that they did last week, then they should have opportunities there to get guys like Michael Pittman uh, yards, even guys like Alec Pierce, who have been stepping up in recent weeks. Um, that could be something there. So I think for Indianapolis, like I think the big question is, was last week an aberration? Like, give Matt Ryan the ball? Um go away from the run game or does John and Taylor come back they revert to the run game that gets stuck in the mud and Tennessee get out to a big lead and they, they just manage to grind this game out but like look even if Tennessee do go into the lead I don't trust them a lot they've been in games this year where they've either thrown the game away like against the Giants early on or uh, nearly thrown away games in, in later weeks so yeah I think it, it's kind of hard to read this but these right now are probably the two teams most likely to win this division as much as we kind of wanted the Jacksonville thing to work out Ugh. I still think it'd still work out. Just basically, it's objectively a terrible, it's a terrible division. It's like, yeah, um, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swap my pick to Indianapolis on that one. Uh, next up, oh god, this is not, this is not exactly a, a, a week of winners, is it? Uh, no. Ronan, <laughs> Houston at Las Vegas. Mmm, delicious. What have they got? One and a half wins between them. <laughs> Yes, it's it's not particularly uh, enthralling. Like, look, Vegas. Obviously, they had the big game where they they nearly beat the Chiefs, uh, which we talked well, which I talked about last week, and then um, they have picked up a win uh, the week before that. So Vegas, the trend line was upwards for them. So they definitely will probably hope coming out of the bye that you know outside of Devontae Adams, perhaps you know picking up some criminal record that they are moving towards being what we thought they would be which is maybe a little bit up and down but definitely a team that can win more often than they lose um, and especially against a team like Houston which has a lot of things going on so I think for Vegas they'll want the things that worked previously to keep working Devontae Adams finally got going Josh Jacobs is having a good season Derek Carr is keeping it mostly clean the defense is showing some interesting moments occasionally like Max Crosby's having a good season um it, it, it looked like it's shelling together and against the Houston team which is so deficient in talent and where Davis Mills is turning out to be a bit of a, you know having a very tough sophomore year um, there's not that much to like I think the only thing you like about uh, Houston is the there's some spicy defensive back play with Stingley and Damian Pierce is a stud and I think from the sounds of it they will try to run the ball heavily with Damian Pierce so if Houston's going to win that's probably you know Damian Pierce having a super day is probably how they'll do it but Vegas they're not as bad as the record and I think they can get take care of Houston here yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Uh, so skeptical about the Raiders. <laughs> well, I think I'll, I'm just going to say, like my pick, my pick going into the year for the biggest letdowns that this whole hype train for them is going to be gone. They've won one game and they're in week six. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think that says all we need to know about them. Uh, Kansas City at San Francisco. Uh, we've gone for Kansas City across the board on this one. The question is obviously, look, can Kansas City have they got enough to keep this going? Uh, beat up the San Francisco team that's missing a few 
players. Like the thing is, on offense, I think they have enough that they'll be able to get it going, and this would be a good one for testing out certain parts of the offense. There's there's still growth to happen there. The problem is that look, Kansas City are still down a number of defensive starters. Hopefully one or two of them will be back. But it means that they are exploitable. There's particularly weaknesses in their secondary. That I know Jimmy Garoppolo doesn't have the world's greatest arm for the deep ball uh, and uh, literally has quite famous form playing this team in a Super Bowl and fucking up the deep pass. But like, I think it's exploitable. Uh, so I think, well, I think Kansas City are going to win. I don't think this is going to be a clean and clear win for them I think San Francisco came to play they know that they're live in their division they would like revenge for the Super Bowl stuff uh, like yeah I think I think, it's, it... I think it's going to be a messier game a lot of people are going to look at this game and schedule and say I ah, look no no worries Kansas City walk that I think this is going to be a messy game yeah like I think for me the big thing is like like how broken is San Francisco due to all the injuries that they have now? They do have guys coming back as the year goes on, but you know, last week against Atlanta, they just looked completely shot. Obviously, Kansas City coming looking to get revenge—well, not revenge, but looking to you know bounce back from a, a tough loss last week against obviously a great team like Buffalo. And so, there's a lot of routes for Kansas City to win this game. But like, look, we know San Francisco. They can run the ball well. If they can run the ball, control the clock, get some yards after the catch from Debo, they can be a dangerous team. But for me, the most thing I think that is, is San Francisco done done or was that just a blip against Atlanta? Um, I think if they can keep it competitive against a team like Kansas City, we can put some faith that they can keep it going forward. But Kansas City are, are favoured for a good reason. The Chiefs should win this game comfortably because they're a much better team. And, and, and I really don't see... How, I mean, the Niners, their injuries are so bad, it seems, or the, 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 the you know, the... The issues they're dealing with are so bad that their coaching can't overcome it, um, especially against a team like like Kansas City. I think Mahomes will have a field day. I mean, it could be a messy game, as you say, but I think the talent should see them through in the end. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot of Debo for 47 yards uh, in this one. Um, but yeah, no, uh, next up we have the Jets at Denver. Uh, go for the yes, Jets the, across the board. Oh, even, yeah. even the exciting Jets aren't enough to make us want to talk about a Denver game. Yeah, it's rough going. Uh, so look, Jets are looking good, good, good. Denver are looking rancid at the moment. Um, yeah, I've got nothing more to say about this game. Jets should win by a mile. Uh, Denver, get your house in order. Uh, Seattle at the Chargers. We've gone for the Chargers across the board. I'd like to, I'd like to consider the Seattle in this one. The thing is, I like I think I think that the Chargers are playing quite well, but are also as messy and sloppy as they've ever been, and as mistake prone and as silly as they were in all of the Philip Rivers years. Um, so I could definitely see Seattle being able to to come in and do something here. It's just the consistency with it because they do have a better defense, and I. I'm not still bought in. I'm still not bought in. I think Geno Smith does some nice things. I'm still not bought in the Geno Smith hype that he can he can do it consistently. Yeah, like the Chargers are just like very weird this year. Like you know they get blown out by the Jaguars. They kind of lose close to the Chiefs. They, you know, they mostly beat the Texans fairly easily. They sneak over the Browns and then they get involved in that absolute dirge fest against the Broncos. But maybe that's just because the Broncos just do that to teams right now so yeah i'm not really sure where the read is on this chargers team in recent weeks the things that have been good is that they've got austin eckler involved more that certainly added something to this offense which has definitely been lacking its deep pass component keenan allen obviously 
big uncertainty of when he's going to come back. But Mike, Ever- Mike Williams has kind of been kept mostly in touch as teams have chosen to focus on him and bracket him out. So, yeah, the Chargers offense has just overall been a little bit disappointing. But with the Eckler part working, it's mostly been productive enough. Whereas Seattle, the defense has been absolutely horrific, but they managed to keep Arizona very quiet last week. Is that because Arizona are just a fundamentally broken offense? Um, or is there a sign that this young defense is coming together and can do some things and obviously with Justin Herbert not really being fully Justin Herbert with some of the injuries he's dealing with um, and obviously with Mike Williams kind of being bracketed um, it'll be interesting to see how much he can do against a defense which should be in theory very exploitable just avoid uh, Tariq Woolen he's a superstar don't you know um, so I think on the other side look Seattle they've been able to exploit some defenses but they had a poor week last week I think you know if the deep balls of play action work um, to Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf they have an offense there Ken Walker looked really good so look there are reasons to pick Seattle here but I just want to see maybe a couple more wins before I'm willing to start picking them against teams like the Chargers who obviously have a lot of talent throughout the roster and you know we, we, we believe should be in the playoff hunt at the end of the year seems fair seems fair uh, next up, Pittsburgh at Miami. This one's got a little bit more juice in it um, than some of the other ones. Myself and Sean have gone for Miami. You've gone for Pittsburgh, Fitz. As we mentioned, we don't know who's going to be at quarterback. Is it going to be Mitch Trubisky? Is it going to be Pickett? I imagine we're shading towards uh, Trubisky, given the protocol. But it is Sunday Night Football, so he does have a bit of time to look at it. Um, for Miami, there's also quarterback changes. Uh, Two is expected to be back, so the question is will they return to being as explosive they were before? Will we see some longer-term issues coming from the uh, head injury? He has been public in saying that like, after the second head shot, he kind of doesn't remember anything he, until he remembers a little bit of being in an ambulance and stuff like that. Like It, it sounds rough. Um, as you said, we saw this is a Pittsburgh defense that played well last week and even shorthanded was able to put some pressure on uh, Tom Terrific. There's better weapons on this Miami team at the moment and hopefully their defense can show up against what should be an undermatched Pittsburgh offense. So that's why I'm shading their way, but what do you guys think? Yeah, like I think that's a fair assessment. I do think like Miami are probably favored by the bookies and I don't blame them. Like There's just something a little bit off about Miami. Like... Like, they had that one big game against the Ravens, but other than that, they've been kind of scoring somewhere between 10 to 20 points. And you kind of think, well, well, Tyreek Hill is a shit ton of yards, and Jalen Wall is a shit ton of yards. Shouldn't they be scoring a shit ton of points? And that's with and without two, to be fair. Um, so it's kind of weird. Like, they're kind of weird offense. They feel... It almost feels like they're way more explosive than they actually are when it comes to actually putting you know points on on the scorefield. So I think if they're go- if they can win this game comprehensively, put up a lot of points, that would definitely be a sign that the rest of this year, Miami could be a serious factor but you know but like I think Pittsburgh after last week where they managed to jammy a game out of here this feels like another game against a team that's kind of very much in flux right now that they can sneak into the win but yeah it's it's pretty close for me uh, overall like Pittsburgh they're well coached and they will take advantage of whatever they're given and Miami just feel like a team like right now maybe they're giving up a little too many chances for the other team to exploit them at the moment yeah but it's the Steelers offense I mean they're not going to take any chances they're giving up I mean it's this is a team that when they score 20 points, it's it's headline news. Like, it's uh, the Steelers, I mean, their defense is, is pretty good, even with the pieces missing, but their offense is, no matter who's under center, it's just garbage. And even the Dolphins, even at their low 20s point scoring kind of offense, I mean, yeah, you'd, you'd hope that the Dolphins would start to fire a little bit more offensively, true, but they, yeah, they shouldn't be losing to a Steelers team that can't score any points. Yeah, yeah. that's fair. 
That doesn't seem fair to me. Yeah, <laughs> like, like I said, like, like uh, I don't trust. I don't is, trust this, this Mitch Titties bounce at all. Like this is a vibe. This is a vibe <laughs> pick. I just like after what they did against Tampa Bay. I feel like Pittsburgh. They are gonna build something towards us. And Miami, Miami have you know they not quite like after what they did the last few weeks and just with the two situation. They feel like a team that's a little bit not quite where it could be in terms of like mm. where we perceive them to be after their early successes. It's so. just Ronan is desperate to have Pittsburgh claw their way to 500 and possible playoff <laughs> relevance. He's just, he's just desperate to see it. Monday night football boys. You ready for another stinker? Chicago and new England. Uh, Sean, we've got for new England across the board, but you don't like Justin Fields. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, it's just hard to see how an offense that isn't functioning at all is going to, defeat a Belichick coach defense I mean the Pats I mean they've looked a little bit better than the fears were that they've definitely in the last few weeks something is coming together I mean somehow this this Bailey Zappi led offense is actually functioning at at a reasonable level and their defense is getting stuff done I mean I feel that the the Pats as a team are in a much better place in terms of their evolution than this Bears are. The Bears team may one day become a decent team. I, I mean, it's hard to see how that's going to happen because it doesn't seem like they have the coaching or the organization or, quite frankly, the players to make that happen. But, yeah, given what the Bears have been doing this season it, it, offensively, it's very hard for them to see how they're going to keep pace, even with with the Pats in this. Um, I expect the Pats should be comfortable enough, um, maybe a 15-20 point win, but I say that now and they'll come back and they'll end up losing like 9-8 or something. But uh, yeah, hopefully it won't come to that. I think the only chance here is if Chicago actually do something with their offense and decide, do you know what? Justin Fields is actually a very good runner. We should use him at the thing that he's good at. Uh, I think was it last week they were playing Wentz or was it the week beforehand? And like there were more designed runs for Carson Wentz than there were for Justin Fields in the relative offenses. And it just baffled the mind because i know that belichick has occasionally had problems with running quarterbacks as well for his defensive scheme so like that's their only hope but like to be honest we're six weeks in they had fields last year they've not made that adjustment already i can't see them suddenly coming up with it now like yeah belichick's kind of been styling on these uh lesser quarterbacks and yeah. lesser offense well detroit wasn't lesser offense but it certainly looked like against belichick he's I don't think he should have a problem. He, I think he gave a five, like a thousand word treatise during his press conference on Chicago. So I yeah, think he knows yeah, what he's he, going to he, do to defeat them. He, he, he did eight <laughs> to 10 minutes going through their roster and why it was amazing, which is never a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> he's already talking them up for the win. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. I'll wrap us up. So, uh, any crack at yourselves lads for the next little while? Obviously, show myself and yourself. We're off to Galway. Hi guys. Yeah. That's, that's, the, that's... Some of the guys. That's the big, the big news of friends having a major birthday, and it's important to, uh, you know, celebrate and commiserate, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, we actually get, uh, we actually get to like attend events with lots of people now again, which is. Yeah, I haven't been at a proper time. house party in a very. Long I genuinely time, could. I was trying to work out in my head when was the last time I was at a house party, and it's like it, it has actually been a very, very, very long time. Yeah, I'm sad to be missing that, but uh, it's also my mother's birthday, so I believe that takes precedent. Uh, yeah. That could also be a massive house party. You know? Yeah, what did you do? <laughs> Let's all go to Cavan and have a house party. Whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, no, any, anything it's else? BYOB, though. It's Cavan, though. Don't forget that. Ah, yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. No, it should be, should be good fun. I think that's most of the plan. And then, like, 
to be fair, Sean, I think we've we've, we've picked a good weekend to be uh, to be like yeah. less focused on the Sunday football because <laughs> this is a uh, a rough looking slate to be honest this time around. This this is one of the worst weeks of NFL football that looks like it could be in a long time. Yeah, uh, just just but, just bizarre. Like there are, there are two or three bright spots, but that's about it. Normally you have a little bit more. This seems to be kind of a bit of a dump. But I suppose like look, we've got Philly, Buffalo out minnesota and the rams i care less about but like those are those are four competitive teams that are on by this yeah. week which is probably yeah. le- lending itself towards it hey, um here's a suggestion just go out and enjoy your weekend and then you can come back here next week to all four quarters and we'll tell you what actually happened because that'll be <laughs> that is good use to you it's useful to you it'll be great actually rolling because we're gonna we're gonna be able to you, you, you can be up in cabin and prepping because i'm gonna guess 10 of these games are gonna be in the top off <laughs> <laughs> Um, but no, uh, yeah, no, I think that's that's most of the crack now, and uh, and obviously Sean, you're entering the final stages of your of your uh, half marathon prep. How's that going? Uh, yeah, I'm definitely still. I'm following what the app tells me to do, but I'm not at all convinced that it is training me well. <laughs> and so we'll have to find out. Right, and I like I like that you're doing the correct approach to uh, to preparation, which is a week before the big run, get absolutely plastered. <laughs> Uh, hey, if it worked for footballers in the 1960s, it'll work for me. That's true. So what, like Strava, Strava is to Sean as Sean is to Puppy. Is that basically what I'm hearing here? Yeah, yeah. They're kind of training, training on training on training. <laughs> um, but I suppose that'll do us for this week. So uh, as always, you can get us on uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, on all those kind of spots and drop us questions. But uh, for now, it's bye from myself, bye from Ronan. Bye. Bye from Sean. Bye. It's been all four quarters. Thanks for listening, and we'll chat to you next week. <laughs>